You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Romans uh, chapter 11. Like Brady said, uh, we're in Romans 11, 33 through 36. This is kind of the hinge of the first 11 chapters of Romans, just about the majestic doctrine of God, just who God is. And it's gonna swing uh, towards next fall when we talk about just the, the practice, the application, like what do we do in light of that? This is, and this is always Paul's MO, right? To, to show us how beautiful God is and then show us how we respond, to show us great gospel truths. And then like our gospel care class says, lead us towards gospel pursuits. This is Paul's MO. And uh, praise is gonna be the hinge that these things turn on. So Romans 11 33 through 36. Uh, Man, just how how kind of God to let me get to preach a text like this this week. This is awesome. Uh, Look with me. I'll just read it for us and we'll dive in. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has ever given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, you are more glorious than we know. Man, you are so majestic and you're mighty, you're wise, you're richer than we know, you're all-knowing. And uh, we just want to worship you today. Just pray for that. Just thank you that worship isn't just songs. Just thank you that we can worship over your word. And I just pray that you would take us by the hand and, and lead us to see what we can't see, open our eyes to see you, unite our hearts to fear your name, satisfy us with your steadfast love. Give me strength to do what I can't do in my own strength. Just pray that, yeah, like my friend always tells me, if I need to look silly so that you might look great, just pray that would happen and um, make much of your name. We trust that your word under your spirit really are enough for your people. We pray this for Jesus' sake, amen. Hey, I figured after that intro, like I've got to lean in with a story about health stuff these last couple of weeks, right? Like that would just be remiss to not start there. And so um, about a week ago, like I went in for the MRI. Here's something you need to know about me. Like, like there's a lot of things by God's grace that I am not afraid of. And I think it's just been said too that what, what is like courage is the absence of self, not the absence of fear. So like God's been gracious at times to like give me that courage when I don't have it. But I'll just tell you, like small spaces are not my thing, okay? So like they're, they're my kryptonite. And so I don't know if you ever had an MRI before and maybe you're fine, you can shame me later, that's fine. But I, they put me on this, this metal table and, and this guy, Jeff, he, um, he's like, okay, we're gonna do some things before you get in there. And I'm like, okay, you know, this is my, my first one. And so they put these earplugs into me that feel like they go deeper than any earplug I've ever had before because apparently he's like, there's gonna be some loud noises and they were loud, like some loud noises here in this MRI. And like, you're, you're not gonna be able to hear well if you don't have these in. So I'm like, okay, well, let, put them in, you know, like shove those things in there. So they do that. And then they start to like strap me down, like by my shoulders, I'm like, like, what's going on, you know, Jeff, what did I sign up for? And he's like, well, you're probably going to move when you're in there. I'm like, well, if you knew me, that, that's probably true. I probably will. You know, he's like, we want to be able to take really good pictures. So they strap me down here at the top and like strap me down towards my knees. And he starts putting all sorts of like pillows and blankets. I'm like, Jeff, I'm not cold. He's like, they're to position your body in the right way, you know? And so um, they, he's like, just let me know how you're doing. So they like start to put me into that MRI machine. And to my shame, I'm like, 
Jeff, you know, I'm like, I'm not okay, you know? And so he, he pulls me back out and then he puts these glasses on me. They're called prism glasses. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen these before, like amazing, these prism glasses. And then he puts me back in and like, I'm in the same circumstance. Like I'm in the same place, MRI, seriously, the top of that thing, still an inch and a half from my nose. But all I can see because of the prism glasses is all I can see is the way out. And all I can see is Jeff just doing his thing. And then for that next hour plus, like I was cool. Like I I was good. Like why tell you that here at the beginning? Here's why. Here's why, because I think the apostle Paul is like, he, he wants us to wear a lens in this text. He wants us to wear a lens that is like seeing God as the interpretive lens for for all of our events. He wants us to see the character of God as the interpretive lens for circumstances, to not see circumstances as the interpretive lens for his character. He wants us to start with him. And if we can put on the glasses and see him and interpret everything else through that, it'll change everything about us. And I don't know about you, but I long to be that type of person. I mean that, like vulnerably this week, I wanna be that type of person. I hope that's true of you too. Like I want you to be that type of person. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. Like I wanna be like Johnny Erickson Tata. I wanna be like my grandmother. I I want to be like these people that we could talk about who by the grace of God, not perfect, but they were able to see God in the midst of their circumstances. And that lens changed everything. And so where we're gonna go, we're just gonna talk simply about the riches of God, the wisdom of God, and the knowledge of God. That's our, that's our outline, basically. Just look at his riches, look at his wisdom, look at his knowledge, and this is amazing. Like, we, we just get to brag on God today. Like, we just get to look at him and drop our jaws, drop to our knees, and, and worship, to trust and worship him, even when we don't really understand maybe what, what he's doing. And so Paul just starts out here, and he just starts with an interjection and just says, oh, the depths. Like, you know this, I don't need to tell you this, but the interjections, like, we can use those for anxiety, we can use those for pain, follow it with some other words. Like, we can use it for, for sadness, we can use it for, for deep uh, fear. But Paul uses this interjection for deep awe and worship. He is jaw-dropped at the person of God, at the triune God, and he just says, oh, the depths. That, that word depths just carries this idea of like a chasm between us and God, not in terms of relationship, but I mean in terms of our being, that he is other than us, that he is holy, he is without equal and without error. It, um, it's kind of funny, this, this Greek word will actually be picked up later in the English language to, to talk about a type of submarine that would plummet the depths to the bottom of the ocean. So Paul's saying, like the character of God, it's limitless. It's like a boundless ocean. Like you can't go far enough to get to the far depths of who he is. He's, he's greater, he's wider. That's why Paul in Ephesians 3 will pray, God, I'm just asking they would just have strength, just to like grasp how great and how deep and how wide your love is. They need, they need strength for that because you're so deep. I don't, I don't think this is where we are most of the time. I think most of the time culturally where we are when it comes to the character of God and sometimes in the church too is not depths, but how shallow. Like wisdom, that's not what I would do. Uh, riches, that doesn't look like riches to me. Knowledge, not how I would do it. I, I think like social media inflames this game, you know, because in social media, it's like, look at me, look at me, I'm amazing, and then critique everyone else. But this is the opposite. Like here is Paul, oh, oh the depths, the apostle Paul, in awe and wonder of God, in awe and wonder of another being, just enraptured by the character of God. And so he starts first here, and he just says, oh, the depths of his riches. 
So, so what is he talking about when he talks about God's riches? Like for sure he owns everything, for sure he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but, but specifically when, when this word is used in the, in the scripture, it's talking about God's great mercy and his unlimited and unsearchable grace, like God's mercy and grace. So think, when you hear riches, think God's mercy and grace. Can't go to all the texts today, but here's one example. Ephesians 2, four through seven. Read this for you, it should be on the screen. But God, being rich in mercy, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show what the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So Paul thinks mercy, he thinks riches. He thinks God's grace, he thinks immeasurable riches. If you want others to jot down, put Ephesians 3, 8 through 10, or Romans 10 that Paul, that uh, Shea preached a couple weeks ago, just the unsearchable riches of God that anyone who calls on his name might be saved. This is riches here. But look, it's, it's here in Romans 11 too. How, do, how does Paul kind of reference it? Paul says this in verse 35 about his riches. He says, who has ever given a gift to him that he might be repaid? I love that. Like Paul, Paul goes to the book of Job and takes one of these 70 unanswerable questions that God's been asking Job in the midst of this refrain. And he takes one of them and just quotes this and says, who, who has ever given to God that like God should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. That's what our, that's what our God says. There's this book um, that my wife and I and probably a bunch of other people, it seems like we've been reading too recently, called Gentle and Lowly. And in the midst of that book, he talks about Isaiah 55, six through nine. So Isaiah 55, six through nine is like one of the, I feel like just a super, super famous passage if you've grown up in church world that just talks about how God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. And let me, let me just read it to you. Isaiah 55, six through nine. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, this, that, this word for plans or purposes, God's saying, my, my purposes aren't yours, my plans aren't yours. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, the spatial like gap, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And I just always read that and just thought, well, man, God is just incomprehensible and I can't fully understand him. And that, that is for sure true. And we're going there in a second. But what's crazy is like, it's almost like I had forgotten. You know, I like been to seminary and for, for, apparently forgotten that like the context of Isaiah 56, 55, six through nine is like 55, one through five, you know? So I, I just didn't know that. And I, but, but that whole text talks about his compassion. In other words, the, the point the author makes is like the thing that's so high and deep is God's compassion and God's love. Like he is, he is so loving, he is so compassionate, he's so gracious, he's so rich in mercy that it's such a grace and mercy that like you can't fully get your mind around it. You might think, man, he doesn't seem merciful to me in this, but you, we don't yet know the dimensions of his mercy. He doesn't seem compassionate or loving to me in this. Well, we don't yet know how great and merciful and how loving that he really is. And this is, this is Jesus, is it not? Like uh, 2 Corinthians 8, it says that he who is rich, Jesus who possessed all things became poor so that we who were poor, who were dead without God, without hope might become rich in him. This is the, the good news of the gospel. 
I think what's amazing about this text is uh, we've said this text really is like the, the hinge from like doctrine to practice, what we, what we see about God and what we do in light of it. And I think if we're honest, like many times, like we let, um, we let, we think that like praise and obedience should replace doctrine. Like, okay, let's get past that and like get to the good stuff. But, but Paul's showing us they complete it. In other words, like lean in to like sound doctrine to like amazing thoughts about God and then let that light a fire in you towards praise and towards obedience and towards change. They don't, they don't replace doctrine and praise and obedience. They, they complete it. And this really is a pause in our text in the book of Romans. And so, man, the invitation here is for us to, to pause as a body and just to, to worship him for his riches, just to, to worship him for his mercy, just to worship him for his grace, that we might pause and simply behold God. I don't know about you, but like, Weeks are busy, work is hard at times. There's kids and life and neighbors and extended family. And maybe you come here and, and maybe it's good to not have, this is hopefully how we're preaching every week. It, it is like one more law, one more burden, one more command. Like what if the invitation was just to pause, just to see God today, just to rest and hit the depths of his riches and his love for you in Christ Jesus. It's part of the call for us today, just to worship him, just to behold him. But Paul goes on and doesn't just say, oh, the depths of his riches, but he says, oh, the depths of his wisdom. Like how limitless, how bottomlessness, this, this limitless ocean of God's, not just riches, but his, but his wisdom. And so wisdom, I've heard it described as like knowledge applied. So if, so if knowledge, get here in a second, is like to know what is best, wisdom is the ability to like do what is best. And so some people have book smarts, like that's knowledge. Some people, we talk about people that have street smarts, like that's more wisdom. Like, can you apply the very things that you know? And what's amazing about God is, is like God is able to do that in, in every sense of the word. Like his, his wisdom is perfect and his wisdom is infinite. It is, it is without equal. It is without flaw. This is why in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, God's wisdom is going to be sung about and praised forever, those texts say. This is why in Job 38, in the midst of those unanswerable questions, God comes to Job and just says, who has put wisdom in the heart? And like, who has the wisdom to number the clouds? I don't know if you ever played that game when you were a kid where you're like lying on the driveway or someplace, cul-de-sac, grassy area, and you're just like looking up at the clouds. You've got a friend around you and you're trying to like tell you like what you see in the clouds. Like I see a hamburger, maybe it was just me. Uh, I, I see a popsicle. And you're like, how'd you get, you know, what? <laughs> you know, like I see this. And, and the fun thing about that game was one, like sometimes your, your friend was like, surely you're making that up. Like I don't, there's no way I see that. But like the clouds are, they're ever moving. They're ever shaping. Like meteorologists try to say that there's like a hundred different types and 10 different categories. But we know that like, like no one can categorize the, like the wisdom of God's ways, like they're, they're just too high. It's why the book of Romans is gonna end on this, like to the only wise God, which, which is so beautiful. Like he's the only wise God. What, what, what he possesses perfectly, like we possess in part. And so uh, when it comes to the wisdom of God, like it's one of the communicable attributes of God. That just means it's something that we can catch. In other words, like we can be like it. So he's gracious, we can be gracious, He's merciful, we can be merciful. He's wise, we can be wise. But we, we know, again, what, what we possess in part, he possesses in full. Like, we'll never have the wisdom he has. We'll never have the grace or mercy that he has. And this is important because 
Because I think um, the humility required for worship, required to keep singing when you don't understand what God's doing, starts with being able to see that he's higher, he's different, he's other than, he's not just like us. It's been said that like sin is putting God in our own image. Like sin is attributing the very attributes of God and attributing to us, whereas true worship is looking at God and saying, God, that is true of you and you alone. Like only you possess that. Paul gets at that later here in Romans 11 when he asks this question. Look at verse 34. These questions kind of match the attributes. And so if the riches matches this idea of who has, who's ever given to God, here's the wisdom of God. And in 34, Paul says this, who has ever been God's counselor? Like who's ever given God advice? Like who's ever pulled the chair up to God and been like, God, like, like, let, let me give you a little counsel on like what you should be doing. Like that was good, but what if you tried it like this next time? Like who has ever done that with God? God's never asked for advice. He's never sought out counsel. He's never been uncertain about his plans and decrees. He's never done a straw poll or an exit poll or any poll for that matter. He's never been hesitant or second guessing about the application of his perfect wisdom and perfect ways. He is good and he knows what he's doing. He can be trusted in worship even when we don't know what he's doing. It's this invitation to put on the glasses and let the character of God be the interpretive lens for our circumstances and not the other way around. When I um, got some of those uh, results from the MRI, it's so crazy how, how kind that God is. When I got some of those results, I was, I was studying the wisdom of God and I, I was looking at um, this little passage by A.W. Tozer where he was talking about God's wisdom. And here's the quote that I kind of stumbled upon that night right before I got some of those results. So this, this is beautiful. Tozer says this. He says, God constantly encourages us to trust him in the dark. Seriously, this, this is so good. Not ready for this. When God created the heavens and the earth, darkness was upon the face of the deep. When the eternal son became flesh, he was carried for a time in the darkness of the sweet virgin's womb. When he died for the life of the world, it was in the darkness seen by no one at the last. When he arose from the dead, it was very early in the morning. No one saw him rise. It was as if God were saying, what I am is all that need matter to you for there lie your hope and there lie your peace. I will do what I will do and it will all come to light at last. But how I do it is my secret. Trust me and be not afraid. That is so good. Your toes are like every time the scriptures talk about the wisdom of God, whether it's in creation in the dark, whether it's the wisdom of God in salvation, like the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus early in the morning at dark. And so why would we not expect if some of God's greatest works of wisdom, his creation, his salvation was in the dark, why would we not expect an invitation to trust him in the same way? Why would we not expect, why would I not expect an invitation to like trust him in the midst of the uncertainty? That's so beautiful. This call to step into the dark and say, God, you're trustworthy and I'm gonna worship you because of who you are. Even if I don't understand like all, all that you're doing right now. Man, Paul, Paul begins to hit on that right after these attributes by, by saying this. Look at this. He says, how unsearchable are God's judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. When I think of his judgments, Paul says, man, I think unsearchable. And when I think of his ways, the only word I've got is inscrutable, untraceable, unfathomable. 
So, so that word judgment, just real quick to unpack that, that it has this idea usually in the scripture of talking about God's like just actions of punishment. But here in this text, it actually has a wider and a deeper meaning. It's just talking about what God decides to do, like his decrees. And God is merciful um, and, and right and good, both in his merciful decrees and his uh, punitive decrees. Like he, he is good to throw these things out. But Paul is saying, like, when I think about that, like, I just can't fully, fully search them. I mean, H.B. Charles Jr., uh, pastor in Jacksonville, Florida, has been so, so helpful for me on this. He, did, he talks about this idea of motives. He talks about how in Jeremiah, it's clear that like we can't discern our own motives. And then he talks about this idea of like, we can't discern the motives of others. By the way, like pro tip, like if you wanna, if you wanna like absolve yourself of some arguments, either in marriage or your gospel community and you're amongst coworkers, like don't assume their motives, okay? Like they said this, they did this, but like don't step into the murky, scary waters of like, I think this is what they were trying to do. Like, no, 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 like don't go there, okay? You can't discern your own motives. You can't discern the motives of others. How much more will we not be able to discern the motives of the perfect, infinite, holy God? Like his, his decrees and his judgments, they're unsearchable. But then he says something else. He says his ways are inscrutable. Some of your Bibles might throw untraceable there. And that's like a beautiful translation there. Like the word literally means that you can't see the footprints. Like you can't fully see what's, what's being, being happened here. Like you can't trace the footprints. And the idea of his ways there, if, if his decrees are what he decides to do, his ways are what he actually does. It really hits on the idea of wisdom. Like it's, it's wisdom, it's knowledge apply what God is actually doing. And what's so interesting is in the Psalms, you've got Psalm 77, 19, that just talk about a high and holy view of our God. And it says this, your way, God, was through the sea, your path was through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. This is why William Copper, 100 plus years ago, more um, in the midst of his depression and anxiety, suicidal thoughts, discouragement, penned these famous words. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the seas and he rides on every storm. I mean, th this is the cross again, is it not? Like the cross that, that looks so dark, looks so mysterious. Uh, Luther said this about the cross, that there uh, Jesus hid his victory and defeat. He hid glory and shame and he hid our life in his death. Like so mysterious, don't know what's happening. At the end of the day, a God who is trustworthy but not just the depths of his riches, not just the depths of his wisdom. Paul goes one more place here. He just says, oh, the depths of the knowledge of God. Oh, the depths of the great knowledge of God. And so knowledge is this usually something that we have to acquire. We all get this. Like whether you're reading a book or listening to a podcast or look it up somewhere or you Talk to, talk to someone who imparts it to you. Usually this idea of something you acquire, something you know about like a subject or an object or, or something. When it comes to God, like, like what begins to blow Paul's mind is that God's wisdom, similar to his knowledge, it's, it's perfect, it's unending. God isn't just knowledgeable, like he is, he's all knowing, like he possesses all knowledge. 
It means that God holds all knowledge. He holds everything past, present, and future. He knows all potentials. He knows all on both macro and micro scales. So whatever NASA might be coming out with recently and looking with the Hubble telescope, like God already knew it and he knows beyond that. He can number every galaxy and every star. And at the same time, he knows everything on a micro level too. He can number every hair and he knows when every sparrow falls. He, he sees farther than the Hubble telescope. But at the same time, he sees closer than the strongest electron microscope could ever detect or ever see. God knows every plant, flower, insect, and animal. He knows all 6,000 of the different types of beetles. He knows everything about every forest and stream and country and continent. He, he knows all. He knows every story represented in this room. He knows every desire of every heart. He knows all and nothing takes God by surprise. He's never Googled. He's never used Wikipedia. He's never asked Siri. He doesn't need an Insta story to know what's going on in your life. He's never been late to a text or email. He knows what someone will say even before they say it. Like he knows all fully. And this is why Paul will just ask this last question in verse 33. And the emphasis is on who, for like who has known the mind of the Lord? He quotes from Jeremiah 23, 18, where Jeremiah says, like, who has ever stood in the council of God? In other words, just imagine, imagine the Trinitarian God, God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, one God and three persons, each member fully God. And imagine the council of the triune God. The question is like, who's ever like dipped into that council and been like, hey guys, that's good. But like, did you hear about like, have you heard about this thing going on? Like, do you, do you know that? Like, and this is so good for me because I'm so prone to that. Like, I, like, what, like, what about this? Like, have you considered this? Like to step into the council of the Trinitarian God and begin to consult and say, I don't know if you know about this, but I do. Looked it up on Wikipedia the other day. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, what, what is happening here? Man, I, this is like, Super old school movie, so maybe a few of you will track with me, but there was, a, there was an amazing basketball movie like in the 80s and 90s called Hoosiers. So just stay with me for a second. Okay, we've got a couple of commands. That's exciting. But, it, you know, Gene Hackman's playing the coach. That's not helpful either. And, and there, there's this like crew of people in Indiana, this like arrogant basketball players that think they know everything about the game. And he's like trying his best, this amazing, brilliant coach to like actually teach them the real game of basketball. And th this time comes where he, he brings a basketball out in front of them and he shows them the basketball. And he's like, let's just imagine for the sake of the argument that this basketball is everything there is to know about the game of basketball. He like pulls out his Sharpie and draws a, a little circle. It says, let's imagine that's everything I know about the game of basketball. He takes his Sharpie, just what a punk coach, and does a tiny little dot and says, that's what all of you know about basketball? combined, you know? And uh, he's trying to show them, like, you don't know everything there is to be known here. I, I think we could do the same thing with God. Like, like the analogy falls apart a little bit, but like, if, if that's the basketball, and if maybe we were a little bit prideful, maybe we take the Sharpie and put the dot on and say, here's everything there is that he knows. Here's everything I know. And what's amazing is where Paul is going here is not shame. It's not like, don't you see what he knows? It, it's worship. It's like, look at this God, like he is so breathtaking. He's so beautiful. Like what could you do but drop your jaws and drop to your knees and just begin to worship, to worship and trust him even when you don't understand. Here's what's so amazing about that. When you look throughout the scriptures, there is an invitation for 
every believer in Christ to wrestle. I just want you to hear that, to like wrestle, to wrestle and wrestle and wrestle and wrestle. You see that throughout the Psalms, particularly, you see it throughout the narrative of the scriptures to lament why God, how God, what are you doing, God? There's this invitation to wrestle with the all-knowing God, even though we are limited. There's this invitation towards that. But for the believer, here's what's beautiful. That wrestling always leads towards worship. Doubt is, or faith has been called a wrestle with doubt. So hear that. But the wrestling always leads to worship. This is the trajectory of the Psalms that once you get through the Psalms, like it's, it's leading towards worship. But that's not our life right now. It's not like an instant thing that happens right now. It's a lifetime journey of wrestling and wrestling and wrestling towards worship. I just wanna invite you to that. But what's, what's sobering to me is when you look at the scriptures, you look at church history, like the person whose faith is not, is not in Christ, it doesn't engage in the wrestle. Like they stiff arm it. And what they do is they rage and rage and rage and then ultimately reject God. But I just want you to know, like there really is an invitation for the wrestle. Like I, I met um, a guy at our apartment complex uh, about a month ago who told me, this just broke my heart. It's like, man, I've been in church a bunch of my life and there's, there's like no room for doubts. There's no room for difficulties. There's no room for questions. And I just apologized to him and just said like, like the, the picture of faith that you got is not a true picture of faith. That's not true. Like our God is not so weak that he can't handle your doubts. He's not so, he's not so anxiety ridden and insecure that he can't handle your frustrations, but do it in such a way where you wrestle towards a holy God, towards worship, not in a way where you rage against him. Like he's under the microscope and you're dissecting his ways. No, no, do it more telescope where you're looking and in awe and wonder, experiencing things that you've never seen before. And may him give you the grace to do that. So in light of that, this is why Paul ends like this. He says this in verse 36. He says, for, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. In other words, from him, God is the source of all things. He's the source of life and he's the source of breath and he's the source of everything else. Through him, he's not just the source, but, but he's the sustainer. Like right now, Colossians says, he's holding all things together. He's holding the cells in our body together. He's holding this church together. He's holding every person on the planet together. He is holding all things together, not just the source, but he's the sustainer. And then Paul doesn't just say from him and through him, but Paul says to him, like to him, are all things, in other words, not just the source, not just the sustainer, but he's the end of all things. Like he's the reason that we exist, uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like he is the reason for all things. So, so Paul just says that to him, in light of that, to him, that to him be the glory, in other words, be the, be the weight, be what matters, be the significance, be what we should live our lives for, to him be, be that glory uh, forever. Amen. Paul ends that way as he has just tried to take us by the hand and say, put, put on the glasses. Like might, might not be an MRI. Like may, maybe it's a difficult work situation. Maybe it's a, a difficult relationship. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a, a broken marriage. Maybe it's a wayward child. Uh, maybe it's a, you don't even know how to name it, but just life is not what you expected. If you could get behind uh, your computer and type out your preferred future. It's just not 
what you thought it would be. But the invitation is to see him and just to let that change everything. Had a professor in a grad school who told this story where he was, um, he's driving down 75 and, um, and just that, you know, in the midst of the tension and the frustration, like he sees what we've all seen before. He sees in the rear view mirror and he sees in the side mirrors like, that car, you know what that car is? Like he's or she is, uh, you know, weaving. People are honking. People are telling them that they're number one in a way they shouldn't. You know, like this car is causing all sorts of jams and traffics and pulling in front of people. And he sees the car coming. You know, like you have one or two personalities. You're either like, okay, I'm block, I'm, I'm gonna block that car, you know? Or you're the person that's like, I'm getting out of the way, I'm scared. And so he sees that car coming, the chaos. What are they doing? Weaving, weaving, and they come, the car comes by him, and he looks and he he's like, That's my dad, <laughs> you know, like what? And um, here's the amazing thing about his story: like his dad was like like the dad, not a perfect dad, but like a good father, like a trustworthy father, like a, I can count on him. If he says he's gonna be there, he's gonna be there. Like I can trust my dad, not perfect, but I can trust him. And his recount of the story is, it was chaotic, it was crazy. I had a couple words about to come out of my mouth, but then I saw dad and I thought, I don't know what he's doing, but I know him and I can trust him. So in the chaos and the weaving and the side turns and curveballs of life, if I can see him and I know him, then I can trust him regardless. Because as Job says, man, what I know of him, those are just like the fringes of his ways. He's worthy. Let me pray for us. And we're gonna do something a little different. Usually we do just the Lord's Supper and communion right here. Brady's gonna come lead us towards that at the very end of the service. We just wanted to give a little extra space to sing. That's why I try to go short, you know, 25 minutes or so. We just want to sing. I just wanna praise him. I just wanna invite you to do that. I just wanna invite you as the Lord leads you um, as whatever posture you want to take, then let's just begin to come before our Father and praise Him for who He is, to ask Him to give us ability to see who He is and, and praise Him in light of it. Father, we love You. Uh, we do praise You. We do say that You and You alone are worthy of our worship. We're just thankful that a call to worship is not just a call to sing, but it's a call to live a life worthy before You. But I just pray that You would loosen our lips and and free us in such a way that, that we can make uh, much of you. God, I'm just thinking, you know, you know every circumstance that's represented in this room. And God, I just pray that you would overwhelm us with the reality that, that you, God, that are so infinite, you're also the God that's in, in, intimate. You, God, that in a sense, there's such a depth, you are far, that you are also the God that is near. I just pray that we sense your presence. And God, we just believe that um, like Psalm 73 says, that your nearness really is our good. So I just pray that we experience your presence here today and you just would um, just allow us to worship you, God, just to worship you in spirit and truth. You're so good. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.